As we prepare for our scripture this morning, I want us to hold something in our minds. If you've come to church for any length of time, it's very easy for it to become routine. That's not a bad thing. Routines, we need them. They're necessary for us to order our day. If we had to choose every single thing about everything that we encountered, we would be overwhelmed. But at the same time, we need to be mindful in the midst of that routine why exactly we're doing it. We're going to study a a package of Scripture this week, starting today, that if you've grown up in church or you're familiar with Jesus' teaching, you're going to be familiar with this. Uh, It has been preached on, I can't tell you how many times. But I want us to encounter it in a new way as we prepare. And I want to do it by, by doing this. We are standing together, gathered together in the power of the Holy Spirit. There is something supernatural that is happening at this moment. God's Spirit is here. And I believe that that Holy Spirit wants to reveal some things to us this morning. And so, as you prepare for this, I want you to to do something. I want you to act as if this is the first time you've ever heard these words. I want you to knowingly, and I know it may be a little bit difficult, but I want you to take... All the things that, as I say the words, you think you know about this, and instead approach this as if you've never heard them before. So just for a moment, we're going to sit in silence, and I want you to imagine that this is the first time you've ever been in a church. This is the first time you've ever heard these words. And then as we encounter them, let those responses and emotions Let them go. Don't evaluate them. Don't judge them. Don't pair them against what you think you know about it. But really let them sink in as if you were hearing them for the first time. So just close your eyes. See yourself standing fresh. Naive. Walking into this building as if for the first time you've ever walked into a church. Smelling the smells, seeing the sights, hearing the sounds. Not sure what you're going to hear, but willing to listen. Holy Spirit, guide us this morning. as we listen with fresh ears, willing hearts, in Jesus' name, amen.
Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome. This is church. I know none of you have been here before, but we call this gathering church. Now, it's not that the building is church, but it's that the people who are following Jesus, who are called by Jesus, come together. And when we come together, we call it having church. So welcome here. My name is John Ray. Um, And we are going to read some of the teachings of Jesus today that instruct us on what is real and what is not with that. So allow me to pray for us as we start. Jesus, thank you for gathering us here. Thank you for bringing us into this place. And we ask that now, by the power of your Holy Spirit, we would be able to understand the words that you left us, the model that you showed us, and the work of your Holy Spirit in us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you ask the Google, what are things that we once believed but really aren't true? You might get a response like I got, which came from Reader's Digest, about 51 things that you thought were true but aren't. And listen, there's nothing world-changing in there, right? Toads don't give you warts. Milk doesn't increase your mucus, right? Um, and, and some are more earth-shattering than that, like you're really not swallowing spiders when you sleep. Has anybody ever heard that? that she's, right? So those of you who haven't been sleeping because you thought you were swallowing spiders, get some rest, okay? It's not true. And there's all kinds of things like that, right? There's all kinds of things that we grow up believing, we grow up thinking are true, and then we find out they're not true. And sometimes they have a big impact on us. Sometimes they, eh, it's just not so much. Well, Jesus, this one that we follow, is going to give us some truth about things that most of us have believed the opposite as we read today. And here's the deal, like wives' tales, alternative facts, fake news, those aren't anything new. We've been duped into living into a false narrative since the Garden of Eden. And the effects have been devastating. So you would think that when Jesus comes and he tells us the truth, he tells us the way things really are, he tells us the way things really work, we would, we would shout hallelujah, we would, we would run towards it. The reality is a little bit different. The reality is we get used to living a certain way. We get very accustomed to believing certain things. We become very used to our habits, our rituals, and when you add to that that we live in a culture where everybody else is still believing that one way, even when we encounter the truth, even when we're given a new perception on reality, it's not always so easy to walk in it. But we'll see what Jesus says about that. So we got here, I know it's your first time here, but there's been other people who have been here and we've been studying about the birth, the baptism, the preparation of Jesus. He was born, he was baptized by his cousin John, he went out in the wilderness for a time of preparation, he came back and he started proclaiming a message and that message was repent, the kingdom of God is here, believe with that. 
And now we're getting into a section as we understand our story, because we understand that God's story is our story. He's drawing us into it. We see that he's going to expound on that. Whereas he was proclaiming the kingdom of God, now he's going to expound what that means. What does it mean that the kingdom of God is here? And if you think you know that, which you may, you may have had some idea of this before, um, I, would, I would challenge you with this question. In the teaching team this week, we ask ourselves, what is it that God saves us from? We say Jesus saves. We say Jesus saved me if we're a Christian, right? But really, what is it that Jesus saves us from? And we came up with an answer that may not be the one that just came immediately to your mind. Well, let's look at the text. So, we're reading from the book of Matthew. It says, When he saw the crowds, he is Jesus, he went up to the mountain. After he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to teach them by saying, Blessed. Or maybe hashtag blessed with this. Right? Because... This is a word that we use often in our society. We see it in our social media. We see it on the the Christian home decor, nicely calligraphied to put above your kitchen table or your doorway with that. And it's amazing to me, and and I want it to really sink in, that almost immediately after Jesus proclaims that the kingdom of God is here, he starts talking about blessings. He starts talking about the effect, and the effect is primarily good news. It's gospel. It's news that should be welcomed. But it's also just like in our day, in their day, of the original hearers, they had an understanding of what it meant to be blessed. And Jesus' definition is a little bit different. So what do we mean when we say blessed? What, what do we mean by this? I, again, not to make too much fun of it, but you know if you pull up hashtag blessed on Instagram, you'll see lots of nice morning sunrises with the perfectly positioned cup of coffee and the Bible open, or someone standing in front of the new car, or someone out on the date with the perfect partner, or whatever, insert, Right? But we often get it wrong if we just reduce it to nice things or to wishes that we have that are being fulfilled. Blessed is so much more than that. In fact, if we look at it in our society, what we often call a blessing, in many ways, Jesus would call a burden. Many things that we call blessings, Jesus would say, are a burden. Do you see how desperately we need a change in our view of reality? Blessings are just not the response to good behavior. There's a, there's a great article out there by a guy named Scott Dannemiller, and he writes, God is not a behavioral psychologist in the sky reinforcing good behaviors with blessings and punishing our bad behavior with curses. And also, if we only understand blessing as material wealth or physical well-being, then what hope is the gospel for the millions who don't live in our prosperous society? 
or who live severely physically disabled, as Bonnie shared with us earlier, or who never are going to enjoy material success due to circumstance. What good is the gospel for them if blessing is only those things? At Grace, we have consistently defined blessing as anything that draws us closer to God. Now, this is a big and complex topic, to be sure, and we can't even begin to really see it, though, until we say what it is not. And so I want to be very clear here that the blessing that Jesus is talking about here is not wish fulfillment. It's not, hey, follow God and you'll get your dreams come true. That's Disneyland, y'all. That is the gospel according to Walt, not the gospel according to Jesus. Now, what blessing actually is, that's much harder to define. We can't categorize it. It's difficult to hashtag. Because when we really examine our lives and when we really look at them, we see that there are all kinds of things that we would never choose. We would never wish for ourselves or anyone else that are actually used to draw us closer to God, that are actually used to transform us into the image. So we need to understand that there is something different that Jesus is talking about here with blessing. But, but that's just the tip of the iceberg to this. Because in reality, <clears throat> Jesus is not offering just new definitions. He is proclaiming and announcing the arrival of a totally different reality. With this announcement of the Beatitudes, with this Sermon on the Mount, what we call the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is saying, you thought things worked one way, I'm telling you, they work a totally different way. That the things that you thought were blessings, maybe not so much the things that you thought were curses, no, they're null and void. There is a new reality here. So it goes beyond just our personal experience of things that are pleasurable or not. Abraham Heschel, the magnificent rabbi, um, once said, just being is a blessing. Just to live is holy. And I think that is more accurate to the reflection of where Jesus is leading us. Well, let's go on and see what he says about it. He says, blessed, blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to them. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to them. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil things about you falsely on account of me. 
Rejoice and be glad because your reward is great in heaven. For they persecuted the prophets before you in the same way. Now when we look at the grammar here, we see that there are some of these that are the experience of now. There are some of these the promise of the experience to come. But one thing we need to make sure that we don't do is look at this as something that is going to happen after we die. That this is something that says, hey, if you just perform along these ways, and if you're sad or you're left out, well, just hang in there, baby. Because after you shuffle off the mortal coil, you get to heaven and it will all be there. Now, in truth, yes, heaven is a very different experience of reality, of joy, of peace in ways that we may not ever be able to attain to. But this is not just about then. It is about now. And every Sunday when we come to this table that demonstrates the kingdom that will be, the the kingdom that is, the kingdom that was, we are walking in the now but not yet. But we need to be clear here. That Jesus is announcing something for now, not just something for later. He is saying, now you are blessed. Now you who are without hope. Now you who thought you were cut off from God. Now you who thought that your actions brought these curses down on your head, or that because of the way you are, the the color of your skin, your gender, your nationality, your income level, your education, that you have been cut off from God. He is throwing open the doors and saying, no. You are blessed because the kingdom is here and it is available to you now, right now, without prerequisite or prequalification and without earning it in anything that you can perform. This announcement changes everything. It changes everything about how we view the circumstances of our life, how we view the imperatives of our culture, how we judge our own desires, how we, how we form our own allegiances, how we form our own affections, where we place our affiliations with that. And once we see that, once we see that Jesus has declared the kingdom is like this, then the next part of what he says makes perfect sense. Because as people who walk in that reality, of people who embrace it, who, people, who actually act like this stuff is true, not just something to be studied, Not just information to be quoted. Not just something to be attended to for a few hours on a Sunday. But actually believe it and live like it. Well, then something happens. He gives us these instructions. And these instructions just flow naturally. He says this. You are the salt of the earth. But if a salt loses its flavor, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled on by people. He says, you 
are a light of the world. A city located on a hill that cannot be hidden. People do not light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to the whole house. In the same way, let your light shine before people so that they can see your good good deeds and give honor to your Father in heaven. Not only are we given the chance to understand reality different, but we are given the call then to demonstrate that reality to the world. We are given the charge to go then and live like it publicly, demonstratively. We're going to live it out loud. It is not something to be compartmentalized for private piety. It is to be something that becomes the defining reality, the defining characteristic of us as individual followers of Jesus and collectively as his church. Is that we live by a very different reality. And this reality, lest we think that God has been silent on this and just springs it fully formed, fresh, and unanticipated in Jesus. And Jesus says this. He says, Do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish these things, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth pass away, not, a one, not the smallest stroke or letter will pass from the law until everything takes place. You see, this is what God has been trying to get at all through the Old Testament. This is what the psalmist sang about when he was singing about the wisdom and asking for wisdom and living by wisdom. It was, it was basically a plea, God, open my eyes to what is real. God, teach me to walk in what is real. God, teach me a way to live that reflects what is ultimately true. With that, Jesus comes, when he comes, he says, all that you have longed for, all that has been sung about, all that has been prophesied is here. It is now. It is available to that. And that's why he goes on, he says, so anyone who breaks the least one of the command and teaches others to do so will be called least in the kingdom of heaven, but whoever obeys them and teaches others to do so will be called great in the kingdom kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness goes beyond that of the experts in the law and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom. And again, this can seem like it is something to perform rather than reflective of the reality. But with the kingdom here, the condition of being able to be righteous or rightly aligned with reality is available, and it is available to us all. You don't have to be a teacher. You don't have to be an expert in the law. You don't have to be a Bible scholar. You don't have to be a vocational minister. It is available to every one of us with that. Y'all, this is our story. This is the reality that we are seeking to live by. Because life apart from the kingdom is darkness, bondage, and death. Life lived according to unreality breaks down, hurts us, hurts others, destroys the planet. 
Life in the kingdom redefines everything about how we see, understand, and experience the world. And to follow Jesus is to boldly bear witness to the reality revealed in the kingdom. Adjusting our perception of reality is not new to Jesus. He's going to go on and do this. Listen, y'all, he, he, he's just kicking off the campaign here. We're going to come back time and time again to this thing. But when we ask ourselves in that teaching team meeting on Tuesday, what is it that Jesus is saving us from? A very real way to understand that is he is, he is saving us from deception, from unreality. He is saving us from being deceived. He is, he is saving us from being enslaved to false conceptions, false ideas, cultural demands that do not line up with the truth. That changes everything. Look, toads don't give you warts, okay? Milk doesn't include, increase your mucus, and spiders don't crawl in your mouth when you're asleep. That's, that's good information. But it pales in comparison to the good news. The good news. Sometimes because we have heard this so often, the impact is lessened. Let it sink in fresh this morning. Jesus has come to proclaim the reality of the kingdom of God is here. And it is available to us all. And that our condition does not prevent us from being there, and neither does it earn us a place there. It is a gift freely given. I'm going to ask Lucian and the worship team to come back up as we respond to this message this morning. And here at Grace, we, we respond specifically in four different ways. As we come and take from the table, we take the Lord's Supper, we take communion, the broken body, the poured out blood, which is both sign and symbol, experience and reality of Jesus' ongoing self-giving to us. If you're not able to grasp it with your mind, taste it on your tongue, that Jesus is for you and has given himself for us. We also worship and pray because Sunday morning just isn't enough. It's not just enough for you to believe this because I got up and said it because I got the microphone on. You need to make this yours. As you walk out of here, you are going to be assaulted with everything that the culture has to offer that is going to try to drag you back into that reality. You need to do work with Jesus right now. You need to respond to what has been said here. Even if you've heard it a hundred times or you were able to hear it as if it was for the first time. But you need to respond to that. We also take up an offering here because we demonstrate that there is no one here who is without need. 
There is also no one here who is without at least something to give. So we share among ourselves with that. So thank you for being here this morning. We don't dismiss by rows. You come up as you're ready to receive communion. It's open to all who are seeking to give their affections to Jesus. Thank you.